Well, it's good to be here. I, I certainly missed the RAE. RAE um, it's something that, that I have a passion for, meeting with other pastors. Um, unfortunately, this year, God had me resting. <laughs> um, but God is good in that He uh, rejuvenated me. I felt the prayers, I felt all of y'all's prayers this past week uh, as, I, as I went through more chemo. Uh, after having a heart attack, and then more chemo. Um, it's been a whirlwind. You can ask my wife for sure. Um, but God is good, and He has strengthened me. In fact, I was just mentioning this morning that um, I was supposed to put a, another fentanyl patch on my arm because it's, uh, I've been needing it, but this morning I felt good and I forgot to put it on and I feel great right now. I don't, yeah, praise God, yeah. I'm hoping that uh, I won't have to use another patch and I can be done with fentanyl. So uh, I'm excited about that and uh, God is good, God is good. But this morning we're going to be in uh, Hebrews uh, we'll be reading from uh, verse 19 through verse 25. I'll read the text first this morning and then pray for the preaching of God's Word. I'm so glad that this row is not completely empty. Thank you, Sarah, for coming. <laughs> um, I don't know where your mom is. I know where your dad is, but I guess your mom's up north. With you. Okay, yeah. So, um, yeah, I just want to see the whole row empty. You know, it's just too far to breathe and to spit at and whatever, so. <laughs> you can move up, sure, yeah, if you want. <laughs> Everybody move up one row, no. <laughs> no, then Sarah will be over here. Yeah, that wouldn't be good. Okay. Well, all right, let's get started with uh, reading the text. Hebrews 10, beginning in verse 19, the Word of God says this. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So, Father God, we thank you, Lord, for this text, this truth that you bring us this morning. We ask that you would help us, you would, you would help me to preach this morning in a manner that would, would uh, be encouraging as well as thought-provoking and causing our, our hearts to change, Father God, where, where change is necessary causing for our ears to open and to hear your word, your truth, and our eyes to see what you have, would have for us in this text this morning, Father. Help me as I bring your word, Father God. Let me not stray. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 
Hebrews, for the most part, is exposition, from which it's not difficult to derive gospel application. It's a good, it's a good letter for doing that. He, gives, he brings truth, uh, and then we take from that truth, and we build application from it. However, our text this morning is predefined gospel application from which we don't have to derive gospel application because it's already in the text. The writer of Hebrews is calling us to draw near, hold fast, and consider. By using the words, let us, this is the the call to action or application, as it were, as in, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. These let us. So I'm not going to have to devise or draw up some application for you to consider with regards to our text because it's already drawn up for you. I will, however, try to point it out and make it more clear in my sermon this morning, just so you don't miss out on on what the writer of Hebrews is trying to tell us. Not that what is already written isn't good enough or that my words are far better than his. That that would be pretty arrogant, would it? Would it not? No, I'm, I'm hoping that my words this morning will just highlight the text and, and express in different terms what has already been given to us and help, help us to, to see the text maybe in a different way. Uh, sometimes, I, you know, I've preached some texts and somebody would come up to me and they say, you know, I've read that text many times and yet this time I got something different out of it. You said something that I hadn't thought about before. Uh, and so I was blessed by that. I, and I'm blessed by hearing that. Uh, to hear that, that the words that I bring are just uh, you know, making alive God's, God's word for us. And so that's what I hope to do again this morning. So our, our text starts off this morning with the word, therefore. Which means there's a, a transition from the previous text to this text. Well, in in fact, the previous text is referring to the first nine chapters of this letter in Hebrews. The the writer of Hebrews is transitioning from exposition to application, for the most part. So there's this big transition. He says, therefore, because of the first nine chapters, we are presented with the truth about the person and work of Jesus Christ, and now... In the transition from exposition to application, the writer is saying what we believe must transfer into our life and actions through application. This is very important, especially, especially in our day and age where we're living in a time when people believe that it matters not so much that what we believe as to how we believe it. That is with sincerity and tolerance for other views that may be in 
opposition to or perhaps even the exact opposite of one's beliefs. We're supposed to all get along, is what they say. You've seen the bumper sticker that says, coexist. It's made up of a whole bunch of different symbols. There's even a, there's even a Catholic symbol in there. It's a crucifix. Different, maybe different religions or different thoughts and different beliefs. And they're all forming this word coexist. Because we must coexist. We must all believe and, and be okay with what everybody else thinks. This is today's worldview, which is quite which is in quite contrast to the apostles' view and demand for fidelity to the truths that God has revealed through them and through the prophets before them in in this what we call our Bible. This text, this word of God that we read from and, and know is to be truth. In the letter to the Galatians, Paul starts off by saying, in, verse, in chapter 1, verses 8 through 9, he says, Even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. And so to make sure that you're, you're understanding what he's saying, and, he's, and he repeats himself, he says in verse 9, as we have said before, and so, and so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. He was serious. The word of God that we're preaching to you cannot be altered, cannot be changed. Otherwise... They're preaching the wrong gospel, and they should be accursed. And that includes us. That includes us pastors even today, as we read God's word. Truth is of utmost importance and definitive for salvation. This book is salvation, because it speaks of Jesus Christ, and it speaks of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and salvation is in this book. We preach from this because it's important. And to preach something that is in contrast to that is to rebelliously reject God and suffer eternal condemnation. That's pretty serious stuff. It's pretty serious stuff. So this morning I'll have two bullet points with the first describing why we should have confidence in Jesus to apply the truth of the person and work of Jesus Christ described in the first nine chapters of Hebrews. And then in the second bullet, which is divided into three subpoints, I'll talk about the, the let us sections of the text, the application itself. Okay. So let's begin with point number one. Point number one, we should have a slide up. Since we have confidence in Jesus, that's the point number one. It's from Hebrews 10, verses 19 through 21. It says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over our, 
over the house of God. This is the section described now with this first bullet point, since we have confidence in Jesus. You'll notice that the, the first word, therefore, again, as I remind you, it points to the first nine chapters of Hebrews. It says, we have all this text, this truth about who Jesus is, what he's about, the work that he did. And because of that now, I can say, therefore, we have application. This is what that application is going to be about. So we have two sections in this first, this first section where, where we, we talk about since we have confidence and since we have a great priest. And I, I intend now this morning to break up those, those two into different sections here or subsections of this first point. So let's begin with, then with the first part of that in verse, verse tw- uh, 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places. What, what does it mean to have confidence? Well, confidence means feeling sure of yourself and your abilities. Not in an arrogant way, but in a realistic, secure way. Confidence isn't about feeling superior to others, no. It's, it's, it's a quiet inner knowledge that you're capable. For example, I may have confidence when I get up in the morning that I could walk um, to the restroom, to the shower, to, to, you know, I could walk to breakfast or whatever. There are some days I could get up and I say, you know what, I don't, I don't think I have the confidence. Especially when, when I had uh, two broken uh, backs, I had a broken back in two places, I had cancer at the same time. I was having to wear a brace. It was difficult to get out of bed, and there was no confidence that I could walk from here to there. I had to have a stroller, a walker. It was difficult. I didn't have confidence. Now I have confidence. I get up. Hey, I can make that walk. So there's a, there's a, there's a knowing, a feeling of, of, of sureness in yourself and in your abilities to do this. And so... so since we have confidence, that's our confidence. Our confidence is what? To be able to enter the holy places. The holy places. Now, the holy places in the Old Testament were the tabernacle. And the only person that could, could walk into the tabernacle were, were the high priests. They had to be dressed in, in these grand robes. Uh, they had to walk in with uh, a blood of an animal in order to, to perform the sacrifices. And only they could walk in. Only the high priest could walk in. Nobody else. In the New Testament, there's a difference. Because of what Christ has done for us, because of salvation, he has brought us into the fact that now we are also high priests. And we have a better approach. We have a, we have a focused way of, of attending to they're entering in the holy places. And the focused approach would be through prayer and communion with God. When we pray to God, when we pray, we have communion with Him. We're speaking to Him. We're listening to what He says. Another focused approach is through quiet time or meditation in the Word of God. When we study the scriptures, when we study his word, he has something to tell us in every piece of text that we open to. 
And he's communing with us through his word. These are focused approaches. Then there's also at all times. What does that mean, at all times? Well, we're, we're entering in to the holy places at all times through the constant presence of the Holy Spirit, who, who Jesus has said will come after me and enter into you. You will commune with him. He will be in you. At all times, we have the ability of the Holy Spirit to help us discern this text in our lives. There are times where I'm walking along, something happens that could cause me to sin, and yet the Holy Spirit intervenes and says, hey, wait a minute. Demonstrate grace. Demonstrate love for that person. Even though you don't know whom, who they are, maybe they've offended you, but Rather than offend back, present love, present grace, present Jesus. What a difference. And that's the Holy Spirit. Because if I didn't have the Holy Spirit to do that, I could have just lashed out. That would have been wrong. So we, we have confidence to enter into the holy places and it is through the blood of Jesus that we are able to enter the holy places. It's through the blood of Jesus. In the Old Testament, you always had to have blood to enter the holy places, but it was with the blood of animals, which really didn't cleanse anyone from other sins. It was purely symbolic. But now, through the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross... By the shedding of his blood, we are saved and able to enter into the most holy places, and that is through communing with God, through prayer, through meditation on the word, and through the Holy Spirit. It is also by his flesh that we are able to enter the holy places with confidence by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. This, this curtain and flesh describe the, uh, the uh, crucifixion and death. In Mark 15, 38, it says, And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. This, was, this happened during the crucifixion, during the time when he gave his life, sacrificed his life, the penalty of sin that we could not pay for. So first we have confidence in Jesus to enter the holy places by his blood and through his flesh. And second, we have confidence in Jesus because he is our, our high priest who is seated at the right hand of God. Because of his priestly work, we have the, the privilege of entering in and drawing near to God in worship prayer, and faith. You see, Jesus, the great high priest, is over the house of God. In Hebrews 1.3, it says, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sins, that is, after sacrificing his life on the cross, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Victorious. 
not only for himself, but for us. Amen. And through that, he made us also royal priesthood. As it says in 1 Peter 2, 9, where Peter wrote, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Amen. So we have through our own priesthood, the ability to enter in, to commune with God, and to enter into the holy places. Now, since we have confidence in Jesus, we can therefore draw near with faith, hold fast our hope, and consider, and consider how to love one another. We'll now take a look at, at the three let us subpoints of our text, beginning with verse. 22, Hebrews 10, 22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and, a, and our bodies wrought, washed with pure water. So let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Having experienced Christian conversion, we now have this full assurance of faith. Having experienced the conversion and salvation of Jesus Christ, we now have full assurance of faith. Romans 3, 23-25 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. You remember this, the, the verse, God so loved the world that he sent his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have an everlasting life. John 3.16. It was God that put him forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. And it is faith that gives us this full assurance this is what enters into our heart. Christian conversion is also pictured by hearts cleansed, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. Before salvation in Jesus Christ, our heart, made of stone, could not have but an evil conscience. But since salvation, our heart turned into flesh with, filled with the Holy Spirit, now is cleansed from an evil conscience. It is this sprinkling clean, that sprinkling of, of water, as it, as it says in Ezekiel 36, beginning in verse 25, it says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. Verse 26, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Just transforming us with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. 
and our bodies washed with pure water. The washing of water refers then to baptismal water or the symbolic act of, of death, burial, and resurrection. Also an act of faith and saving grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We are then baptized into salvation through Jesus Christ. Moving on to the second subpoint, beginning in verse 23, we read, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. The second subpoint, let us hold fast the confession of our hope. The confession of our hope without wavering. What does that mean? Confession of our hope. That's what we believe in. Even through persecution, we are encouraged to continue in faith. Without wavering, he says. Like with the Hebrew Christians, some were thinking of leaving the faith because of persecution. And the writer of Hebrews was urging them to continue in the faith. Hold fast the confession of our hope. Hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. Our hope is in who was crucified for our sake. It is in the belief of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the confession of our hope that we must not waver. So what is the gospel? That Jesus came to earth, born as a man, lived a sinless life, offered up his life as payment for our sins, something that we could not do. Sacrificed, died, and buried. Then, having conquered death, was raised on the third day and is seated at the right hand of God where he is our righteous advocate. This is the, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Romans 3.25. I just read that. And it was God who did it. For God so loved. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved. God did it. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Here we are called to imitate Sarah, who considered him faithful, who had promised. And in, in chapter 11, the next chapter, verse 11, it says, By faith Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. So we're, just, we're to take her as an example for this, he who promised is faithful. We now move to the third and last subpoint, beginning in verse 24, which is, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. 
This is a summons to a life of loving community. Loving community, which also means that no Christian can be an individualist. I had someone tell me recently that they were convicted because they said, look, here's Dan, he's got cancer, he's had heart attacks, um, you know, and he still shows up to church. The only way they keep him from, from being at church is, is, is they have to keep him in the hospital. They tell him that he can't leave. And they have to perform a surgery on him in order to clear up his veins. Um, and he said, you know, I, I feel convicted. I should be at church. I should be at church. And uh, that, that's, that's wonderful to hear. Not, not because of, that I caused this person to think that way, but just that, that they believe that they get more out of attending church and being with believers, being with other Christians and hearing the word of God, worshiping, singing songs where we worship our Lord and Savior. This is good. This is good. When we are alone, when we don't attend church, when we don't attend gatherings where there are other Christian believers to help us in our walk, then we can fall into sinful attitudes. We can fall into separation from other Christians, from other believers. And that's never good. That's never good. Verse 24 starts off with, um, let us consider. And the word consider, uh, which has to do with our thinking. We are accustomed to thinking only of ourselves, but our, our thoughts are better given to others. Is someone struggling with doubt? Are they discouraged? Are they being tempted in some way? Are they going through a trial that they may need, um, they may be in need of some help? Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Uh, in the midst of trials... Believers are to show practical concern for one another by love and good works. They may look like bringing them a meal or offering to drive them to a doctor's appointment or, or even to church. I'm so glad to see the quines here this morning. They currently don't have a means of getting here, and so people have offered to give them rides so that they can be at church with us this morning, and I love that. I love seeing them here. I am blessed by them, and I love the fact that this church is offered uh, to sacrifice and go and pick them up and bring them. That's the love. That's the love of a community expressing to stir up one another with love and good works. Stirring up one another to love and good works can be done with maybe a phone call, a note or letter in the mail, or perhaps even an email. But the most effective way is going to be face-to-face. -face. It's going to be face-to-face, -face, and this refers to not neglecting to meet together, as we see in verse 25. Not neglecting to meet together, but encouraging one another. We can't accomplish this unless we are seeing each other face-to-face in church on Sunday or in our discipleship groups throughout the week. This is where we 
we meet with somebody face to face and we're able to talk to them, we're able to, to commune with them and they're able to help us. Maybe I have a problem. Maybe I'm confessing a, a particular sin and they've been through it. They've experienced that. And they said, hey, brother, this is, this is what has worked for me. This, look, God's word, look what God's word says about that. Or my experience has been such and such. And oh, that, that encourages me. That, that blesses me. I wouldn't have got that if, if I didn't have communion with, with them. If I didn't have other brothers and sisters that, ha- that held the ability to come to me and bring me correction or bring me encouragement, which is done in, you know, in these communities. And we get to, when we gather, we get together or we, we have discipleship groups where we get to meet and express uh, and our, our, our feelings and our love for one another. We can share with one another and tell each other about what's going on in our lives, what, we, what, what prayer needs we have, or what encouraging things that have happened in our, in our week. This is encouraging. Hebrews 3.13 says, exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. When we lack community, when we lack people in communion with our brothers and sisters, when we lack that, we may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin enters in and is deceitful. We we have to be cautious. We have to be careful that we don't fall into that. That we attend Gatherings like this, gatherings like discipleship groups, gatherings with like one-on-ones, calling up a brother or a sister and say, hey, you want to go for coffee? You want to go for a, a, a lunch? Let's, let's, let's have lunch together. I want to hear how you're doing. I want to invest in you a little bit. I want to, I want to hear what God's doing in your life. Or perhaps, you know, I've, I've been struggling with something and I need help. We need to do this. We need to do this. Call up, call up someone you know. And say, hey, can you meet with me? I, I need some help. Wow, what, what an attitude of, of humility it takes to say, I need help. I need help. And all the more as the day, as, as you see the day drawing near. This refers to the, the day, the day refers to the day of Christ's second coming, the day of judgment. So we do these things. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another, encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near, the day may be different for all of us. It may be the day that we're taken home. It may be the day when Christ comes and we're still here and we experience that day, the day of judgment. So our our call is then to, to do this, to stir one another up, to encourage one another. All the more until that day comes. 
all the more. As the band comes up, let me summarize with this. We are called to action through application. That means doing. Taking the truth we know about the person and work of Jesus Christ and putting that belief into action through application. Since we have confidence in Jesus, let us draw near with faith. Hold fast to our hope and consider how to love one another. Faith, hope, and love. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for your worth that is so packed with truth and gives us application so that we may live in a righteous manner, worthy of, you, of the Christ who has offered his life for ours. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, for your truth. We thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen.